Welcome to Live, Laugh, Talk. I'm your host, James Graham, and I'm elated to be here with you today. We will start our podcast with a discussion entitled, You Are Forgiven But Forgotten? Then we will transition to our segment, How Did We Get Here? Followed by our hobbies and special interest section, and then conclude with our sunflower message, which is our happy note for the day. Yes, you're encouraged to share your thoughts and also give us feedback on our website, livelaughtalk.com. If you're listening on Spotify, you can add a voice memo as well as comments and participate in our poll. The topic that we will begin with is entitled, You Are Forgiven But Forgotten? No doubt about it, all of us have been hurt by another. Or we may have been the one doing the hurting. Either way, it seems that pain is a common fiber in the very makeup of human relationships. Sadly, we do agonizing things, mainly to those we love. Maybe it's because we spend the most time with them or they are the most accessible when we reach out the long arm of wrath. Because they're the ones we love most, it makes no sense to turn them against us. As senseless as it might be, that is what we oftentimes carry out. Well, to get back into the good graces of our loved ones, forgiveness is necessary. Mahatma Gandhi said, the weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. Wouldn't the purest definition of the word forgiveness imply that the receiver wanted to be excused for a wrong, asking or better yet begging for such? Oddly, many fail to ask to be forgiven. It's presumed upon. Has that ever happened to you? Has someone done you wrong? They know that they did you wrong. And they didn't even say, I'm sorry. They didn't even ask you to forgive them. They just figured, oh, well, you should. See, that should never happen. If we hurt or if we hurt others, we should seek to bridge the pain caused. Now, this is simple in principle, but seems to be difficult in reality. Why? Well, because many times we may feel we were justified in our actions. Possibly we feel that others are more tenderhearted. They're just soft and easy to offend. Regardless, one is not obligated to grant a pardon, especially if we're not pursuing it. Even though it's not an obligation, it's believed that forgiveness is linked to happiness. Ann Landers once stated, one of the secrets of a long and fruitful life is to forgive everybody everything before you go to bed. Hmm, interesting. Even scriptural, where we're told 
in the Bible to not let the sun set with you in a provoked state. Have you ever tried that? Have you ever tried to forgive everybody, everything before you go to bed? Now that just might be the best thing to do, but who can fully carry this out? Maybe this is questioned because we're thinking along the wrong track of what Ann Landers was actually saying. When she said to forgive everybody, the word forgive, she was thinking along the definition of the word itself. To forgive literally means to grant pardon or to cease to feel resentment against another individual. Although arduous to let go of resentment, we can fulfill this daily and we should. What remains laborious is the notion that one has to forget when forgiving. Now, this might be easier. It might be easier to forget if the human mind wasn't scientifically proven to have the storage capacity to record 11 million books. With that amount of recollection, it's impossible to forget the conduct or the misconduct of others. Truly, the brain is not a chalkboard, easily to be erased. Maybe it's not an impossibility, but it is, as Ivan Ball asserted, most of us can forgive and forget. We just don't want the other person to forget that we forget. How true. Because we will remind the person of what they did and then tell them, I forgave you for that. But I can't do it again. Well, that alone proves that we have not forgotten the person. If we can recall it, then we haven't forgotten what they did. And maybe that's the hardest part of it. The forgiveness part, that's hard too. But it's a must because that's the only way that we go through life without the pain, without holding on to what that person did. But why should we forget? Some feel that if we let others wrong us and we develop amnesia each time, well, we'll continue to let people treat us improperly. Hmm. Is that true? See, it's not the forgetting that is foremost. It's the resentment we must let drift away. We can't continue on resenting the individual. A fine example of forgiveness was in the part that I had read the other day of an article in which a young man was with his family and they were going door to door doing a work, a charitable work. And when the young man went to a door and knocked on that door. He didn't hear a sound. So his family turned around and went to the car and he asked for a pen because he was going to write a note to the householder and leave it there on the front porch. Well, when he turned toward the door to leave that note, Someone from the inside 
shot through the door, killed him instantly in front of his family. Over time, the widow wrote the individual in prison that killed her husband. And she continued to write this individual. Let's think about that. Could you do that? Could you reach out to someone that caused harm to you and yours? Now, truly, she showed forgiveness and the method, uh, method of forgetting probably greater than the majority of us could even imagine. But she said writing these letters allowed her to let go of the resentment. She was able to be made whole inside. Our forgiveness must, must come from a pure place. Some have said, there was an Irish novelist that put it this way. He said, always forgive your enemies because nothing annoys them so much. Well, that shouldn't be our goal is to annoy them. Of course, that was said in jest because that forgiveness that we seek to give must be heartfelt for us to heal. See, we got to think about ourselves. We've got to heal. We truly cannot move on with life if we hold on to the actions of others. Our forgiveness has to almost be of a selfish nature because we can't recover if we persist to condemn others for their mishandling of our hearts. May we find it in ourselves to forgive even if we struggle to forget. Families are the building blocks of civilization. They greatly shape and serve the public well. Strong families make for strong communities. While family breakdown harms society as a whole. That's why America's declining marriage rate is a real problem. I was reading an article that discussed how divorce rates in the U.S. overall is falling. Well, that news report has a slant. Do you know why divorces are falling? Because people aren't getting married in the first place. Over the last 50 years, the marriage rate in the United States has dropped by nearly 60%. 60%. Some have said life is a bit easier if you're married. In the past, people felt this way, but now, Many of life's events have shown that people think that cohabitating or having kids outside of marriage is the proper way to do things. Societal pressure has eroded 
marriage dramatically. We say that, but yet our children don't necessarily feel this way. A survey taken of high school senior attitudes have shown that 74% of seniors in 1976 said they expected to get married. In 2020, 71%, not far off from that, said the same thing. So what happens once our individuals graduate high school, they get out here in the real world, what happens to marriage? Well, we've seen that the marriage rates have fallen from 16 marriages per thousand during the close of World War II down to six marriages per thousand now. 70 years ago, approximately 80% of people were married. In 2023, that number has fallen to 45%. Again, we're asking, well, what are the major factors of this long-term decline? Well, some has been, some reasons have been public disenchantment with marriage. And publicly, people just don't even see the reason why. They're a large group now. They're growing. Religious adherence to marriage in the day, it's declining now. And in addition to that, unstable jobs, strained finances, has caused people to delay their marriage. In the 50s, individuals would get married at 18 to 20. Now we're finding the median age of the first marriage is 30 years old for men. 28 years old for women. Yes, that number has about an eight-year difference in the ages of once where it was in the 50s. What we're starting to see is a growing proportion of our society who have expected to never marry. Now, does that mean that there's no marriage going on at all. Well, of course not. That's not what we're saying. But what we're saying is there is a huge decline, which is also showing that statistically, we may not want that decline to continue. Because in decades of statistics, it's shown on average that married couples have better physical health more financial stability, and greater social mobility than unmarried people. Other studies show that the children of those couples are more likely to experience higher academic performance, emotional maturity, and financial stability than children who don't have both parents at home. The social and economic costs of family breakdown it's paid by everyone because studies show that divorce and unwed childbearing cost taxpayers over $110 billion each year. But the real victims are our children. Children raised in single parent homes. Yes, plenty of them survive. Plenty are doing well. Statistically, though, more likely 
those ones will exhibit poor social behaviors, poorer than those of their married counterparts. Statistically, it shows more violent crimes are committed from those that come out of single-parent homes. Those are more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. And when it comes to fighting poverty, there's no better weapon than marriage. Marriage reduces the probability of child poverty by 80%. We see, though, the growing decrease in marriage. And we've seen a decline in society as a whole. Many may question, well, well did, does one have to do with the other? Statistically, it does. Because we've gotten to the point where our marriages and our families have decreased as being in a whole, in one household. And it's decreasing in drastic numbers. 60% of a decrease. But we're seeing crime and we're seeing drug abuse and other things on a 60 to 70% increase. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is how did we get here? One of my favorite pastimes is taking a trip, at least annually, to the beach. Try to get there more than once per year but sometimes, you know how it is, life gets in the way. But nothing better than being on the beach. What do I like about it? Well, I'll tell you. I love to just get out there and clear all of my mental clutter. When I go to the beach, the calming sounds and the sights, the waves, puts me in a state of calm. And it's easier for me to let go of things that's on my mind when I'm enjoying the sweet sights, the smells, the sound of nature. Sometimes I'm just out there picking up seashells, things like that. That's one major reason. Another is what I call technology detox. Yeah, I have to just turn off my electronic device. Don't even bring it out there. I don't want to get sand and water all over it. See, it's a great place for me to take a break from my screen and from mental clutter that goes into my ear by a hundred phone calls. I also enjoy soaking in all of that vitamin D. Yes, you got to make sure you take care of your skin. You got to make sure that you wear sunscreen. But take in some of that precious vitamin D. Put on your sunglasses. Wear a hat. Carry an umbrella. I also like a beach tent that I set up. So that way, you're getting your vitamin D and, and promoting healthy bones, but you're not hurting yourself. And lastly, my favorite thing is enjoying the company. We get out there. We play volleyball, card games, all types of things. We catch up, tell stories, have great laughs, have refreshments and snacks. And all of this have led, led to some of the most joyous times in my life. 
So grab your umbrella, grab your sunscreen, get your sunglasses, and let's meet up at the beach. Our sunflower message is given to us by Abimbala Alabi. The name of it is The Choice is Mine. Life may not let me choose my lot, but whether I'd be happy or not, that is my choice. To leave hurtful memories behind or allow them to bother my mind, the choice is mine. To fret over a mistake when it's done or learn from it and move on, the choice is mine. To be bothered by all that people say or ignore them and go my own way, the choice is mine. To hide my feelings, pin up, unspoken, or say my mind and ease the burden, the choice is mine. To enjoy what I've been able to gain or ungratefully regard it with disdain, the choice is mine. Sometimes I won't get to pick my life, but whether I'll be happy or not will always be my choice. What a beautiful thought. Yes, a lot of times it's up to us how we carry things out that happens to us in life. This is the baby boy of James and Georgia Graham signing out. But know this, that I can't wait until we speak again.